reaching Israel and the world and the world. Baruch Hashem, bless the name of the Lord. Welcome today, beloved ones, to Discovering the Jewish Jesus. We're continuing our study today, honey, in the Word of God, and we're focusing on Paul's words in the book of Romans. As many of you know, Paul, we call him in Hebrew, Shaul, wrote most of the New Testament. In fact, it's interesting because we, you know, we refer to him as Paul, but Paul, in the book of Acts, he gave us his testimony, and he said that when he was on the road to Damascus to arrest any Jew that believed in Jesus, he said he, he heard a voice from heaven speaking to him, Paul said, in the Hebrew dialect. And he said, the voice said to him, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? Wow. So when Paul, who is in Hebrew called Shaul, was called by the Lord, God called him by his Hebrew name. Isn't that interesting? Wow, that is interesting. And it's interesting also that when we look at Paul's writing, he really divides humanity into two classes of people, Jews and Gentiles. And he talks about in Messiah Jesus, and this is a good example of you and I, honey, Jew and Gentile have become one in Messiah. Wow, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to understand and to understand the unity that there is as we culminate with Yeshua's return, the unity of the Jew and the Gentile and who we are in Christ Messiah. Shalom Ovracha, peace and blessings, beloved one. Welcome today from the wilderness of Colorado. We are in an extensive time of study through the book of Romans. I'm calling this study journeying through the book of Romans. And this is actually now season three, episode four in this extended study. You can go back and watch all the other episodes that are available to you. I wanna simply review now where I left off last time. I was explaining how when the Lord looks at humanity, he does it in some sense in a very simple way. There are two different classes of people in humanity, biblically speaking. There's the Jew and Gentile, and this is very clear in scripture. Please don't take that as an egotistic comment. It's not meant to be at all, but simply in the words of scripture, there are Jews and Gentile. And in Messiah Jesus, Jew and Gentile become one in Messiah. So this is the first very simplified way that we understand creation and the creation of humanity. The second very simple lens that I want you to see today as we're studying theology through the book of Romans is that there are really two major key human beings in the history of the world. Now, obviously there are many, many more, but at the top of the pinnacle, there are two key human beings that have determined the course of humanity's history. The first human being was Adam. And the way Adam determined the course of your life and my life and all human history is in this sense. When Adam sinned, the rest of humanity came under the bondage of sin. The Bible says that in Adam, all sinned because Adam is humanity's divine representative. And so everybody after Adam was born under the power of sin. And we see that happen biblically. We see 
Once Adam sinned, once Adam and Eve sinned, you look at their offspring, you look at Cain and Abel, you look a little bit farther down the line, how God had to destroy the whole world with the flood, save Noah and his children. The Bible says that through Adam, all the way until the time of Jesus, all humanity has been under the power of sin because in Adam, all died when he sinned. But the second key figure in humanity is what the Bible calls the second Adam. Yeshua, Jesus, Scripture tells us, is the second Adam. And even as in Adam all died, through Messiah, all in him are made alive. And so Jesus came to deliver us from the curse that came upon us through Adam. So as I have said that, let me read for you now from the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, verse number 19. For as through one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam here, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, speaking obviously of Yeshua HaMashiach, the many will be made righteous. And so Jesus came into the world to deliver humanity from the power, the bondage, and the consequences of sin that the earth has been cursed under ever since Adam's sin. But now that Jesus came, by simply coming to him, receiving what he has done and who he is into our life, being forgiven by his blood through his atoning death on the cross, and then being raised to become righteous before God through his resurrection, you and I, listen, become brand new creations. Our old life passes away and we become brand new. And we no longer identify with our old life pre-Jesus. Now we look to Father God in Yeshua and we have a brand new trajectory and a brand new beginning. So what I want to ask you before I continue today is this. Since you met Jesus, has your life changed? Now, many of you said, well, I met Yeshua when I was just a little boy or just a little girl. I mean, I don't ever remember, some people might say. I don't ever remember, some people might say, what life was like before Jesus. Because from my earliest childhood memory, I, I, I remember having a relationship with God. But let me ask you this question. If that is the case, and I know that is the case with some, have you radically, passionately been living for Jesus in an uncompromising way without taking detours since you put your faith in him, even if that was when you were a little girl or a little boy? The point I'm trying to make is when we come to Yeshua, our life should change. It should, we should be on a trajectory that reflects that we have a relationship with him. So whether you came to faith as a real little person, your life should then represent the fact that you've been living for him ever since. Or if you've come to faith recently or even 15 or 20 years ago, I want to ask you, when you did come to him, did your life remarkably change. Because as we go into this next chapter in the book of Romans, what Paul was going to tell us is that when we came to Jesus, we died in him and our old life was buried. And when he was raised, we were raised to newness of life and became brand new creations in him. And our new life should reflect that we become different. And so if nothing's ever changed in our life, 
If we say, well, you know what? I'm 50 years old and I came to Jesus 20 years ago, but you're really no more passionate about Jesus now than you were supposedly 20 years ago when you responded to an altar call, something's radically wrong. Because it's not people that simply said a sinner's prayer or came to an altar that truly are Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples are those that are truly following him in their life. There are those that have been marked. You know, we've kind of turned the process of getting saved into repeating a prayer or responding to an altar call. And repeating a prayer, responding to an altar call may be useful at times for some, but that's not how someone really enters into a salvation experience in the fullest sense of the word. Someone enters into a salvation experience when they turn away from their old life, they turn away from their sin, they receive God's gift of who Jesus is and what he's done, and then make a radical decision to follow him and by the grace of God, follow through. This is why Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. So that was an introduction to chapter six. Hear the word of God, the book of Romans. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Now, this sounds like a ridiculous statement, but do you know that there are some major branches of the Christian church whose adherents have a theology that they could continue to sin and all they have to do is confess it and it's okay? If they sin, it's okay. Someone will speak that they're forgiven. And so they never have brought to been brought to the place. No, you can't continue to sin so that God will continue to give you grace. You can't continue to sin and then just assume that if you go to the confessional, God will continue to pour his grace on you. This is what Paul's addressing here. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God is saying, may it never be. What are you thinking about? You don't understand. If you've really come into an experience with me, you're not going to continue to sin. You're not going to want to grieve me. You're not going to have a mindset that you could continue to sin and I'll continue to forgive you through some confessional. No, I'll forgive you when you fall, but you can't have a mindset that you can just continue and I'm just going to keep forgiving you without any uh, process in your part in which you're trying to repent. And so Paul says, what should we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may increase? And let me say this to some of you that may not have gone to the extreme that I've just described. Perhaps there are some that are watching right now and you have the mindset, well, you know what? I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me. So I'll just do it anyway. I wonder how many of us have been guilty of that. All of us have to some degree, but some of us are making it a lifestyle. Some of you are continually to sin willfully in your life, knowing it's wrong, and then just assuming, well, it's okay, God will forgive me. I know it's wrong. I know that continuing to commit fornication is wrong, but God will forgive me, he understands. You know what Paul says here? What should we say? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? May it, he said, never be. Beloved, this is serious. There's consequences for people that consider themselves believers and may even be believers and think that they can continue to willfully sin against God's written word and that God will continue to forgive. Because I have news for you. 
God will discipline and chastise his people and it will not feel good. And beyond that, for someone that has that attitude and is not being convicted in their conscience, I think it's right even to question one's salvation. Church, God wants to use you. Deus quer usar vocês. He wants to use us Ele quer nos usar to reach the world. Para o mundo. God is sending you. Deus está te Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so also now I send you. Agora eu envio a voz. Who will go? Quem vai? Let me ask a question right now. How many of you have heard the word of the Lord go forth tonight? It's pierced your heart and you want to repent. Because you're not making a difference. You're not seeking the lost. If you mean it and you're ready to change and you're willing to take that first action step tonight, I want you to come forward right now. I want to pray for you. Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The purpose of discovering the Jewish Jesus is to evangelize and make disciples through the preaching of the gospel to Israel and the world. But this can only be accomplished through faithful partnership from viewers like you. If God is moving on your heart to become a monthly partner, call 800-777-7835 or visit rabbipartners.com. When you become a monthly partner, Rabbi would like to impart into your life with a very special gift, an authentic shofar made in Israel. The shofar proclaims Yeshua's return and announces the kingdom of God upon the earth. Begin your monthly partnership today. So Paul says, what should we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? May it never B, salvation begins with repentance, turning to Jesus to follow him. How shall we, Paul continues, who die to sin, still live in it? In other words, if we understand who Yeshua is, what he did, and what happened to us in him and through him when we received him, if we understand that when we received him, we died in him, we died to our own life, we die to a life of ungodliness. We die to a life of yielding to the material world. We die to a life of yielding to the power of the enemy. We die to a life of yielding to sin. If we understand that we die to that life, it's been cut off from us, that when we were baptized, when we went under the water, it means that we were separated from our old life. How can we continue to live like we used to live? This is what Paul is saying. May it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Listen to this. We died with Jesus in baptism. We died with him, cut off from the old life, and we were raised with him to the glory of God the Father so that we might walk, listen now, in newness, in newness of life. Listen again. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. For you who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is to be master over us. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, this is what you call not only old-time religion, but the most cutting-edge contemporary, relevant message that the world needs to hear right now. It's all about the holiness of God and separation from sin. You see, if you've read some of the Hebrew Bible, you probably scratched your head at times and saying, why is all this in there? All these restrictions against what food to eat, what food we can't eat, about separating this and separating that, about saying that this is holy and, and that's unholy. Why all this separation? Why all these rules and laws? What the Lord was communicating there, beloved, is that he is holy and his holiness separates him from that which is unholy. And so the Lord said in verse number 11, consider yourself to be dead to sin. Even as Israel was not allowed to touch a dead body to be contaminated by it, so too you and I should regard sin like that. We should not want to be contaminated by it. Beloved, this is serious. Do we want to live for him? Do we want to please him? The Bible says in verse number 10 here, the life that Yeshua now lives... He lives to God. And so we've been raised in him. We've been called to live a life unto God. And this affects my lifestyle. It affects your lifestyle. It affects the way we talk, what we watch, who we listen to, what we read, the disciplining of our thought. We have to overcome our emotions. We have to overcome our thoughts to align ourselves with the Lord and be separated from sin. Paul continues, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. It's not something that's automatic. We're still warring against sin. We're waging a war against sin. This is why the apostle Paul, beloved one, when he got to the end of his life, he said he had fought the fight. What fight did he fight? He fought the fight of faith. He fought the fight to believe. He fought the fight to bring his body under subjection. He fought the fight to resist sin. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now, I'm going to talk about something that we've heard about, but maybe not enough. And that is, how do we treat our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible says that because our flesh and blood, because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we need to not just give in to the lust of our flesh as it relates to our eating habits. God cares about what you and I eat. Now, you and I, or I should say, I should say, you know, you're as, as, as someone that's not Jewish, you're not under the laws of what we call kashrut in Hebrew or kosher. You don't have to keep the dietary laws of the Torah. But what I want you to understand is the principle. God still cares about what you eat. And we need to be treating our bodies in a way that reflects that our bodies belong to the Lord. We want to take care of our bodies. We want to take care of our organs. We don't want to eat food that poisons us or disempowers us or causes us to become obese. And for a lot of time in the church, we've you know heard all these sermons against sins that maybe no, nobody in the church is committing. Maybe there's you know 300 people in the sanctuary, none of which are stealing, okay? And maybe in a particular congregation, no one is literally committing adultery, and yet the pastor is preaching against adultery and, 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 and thievery, which no one is doing, but we got 30% of the congregation that's obese and the, con and the pastor's not preaching about that. So I'm not trying to condemn anyone today if you're struggling with weight, but I want you to know that God's called us to resist sin. And if our eating habit is killing the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we know that if we're overweight or we've got diabetes or we're just continually eating junk food, beloved, it's sin. And so the scripture is telling us here to resist sin and not to give in to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the body. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God. Our body belongs to the Lord, and we need to discipline ourselves and treat the Lord in us in a way that we love Him and honor Him by eating what's holy, foods that are good for us in moderation. Therefore, finally, verse number 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so our bodies belong to the Lord. Let's treat our bodies as though they belong to God. We don't have the right to misuse our bodies, to just keep on eating junk food and things that make us sick because we belong to the Lord. Our bodies belong to the Lord. Let's live in a way that's alive to him and pleasing to him. We're called, beloved ones, to repent of sin, to give ourselves to righteousness because God's got a happy call and a happy destiny over your life and my life. And as we say yes to God and walk in that, we're going to rise in the anointing. We're going to get stronger and stronger. And beloved, mark my words, when you get strong and as you get strong, you'll become happier and happier. Beloved, when I examine myself under the light of God's Spirit, 
I'm challenged by the life of Abraham. Abraham entered into the fullness of God's blessing by surrendering Isaac, whom the scriptures call his only son. What a total act of surrender and sacrifice. What that teaches me is if I'm going to enter into the fullness of what God has for me, I also need to live a surrendered lifestyle. The rubber meets the road oftentimes in this area with our finances. Many of God's children are not fully surrendered to Him in the area of their finances. Beloved, let's trust Him. Let's honor Him. And let's give Him what is due from the first fruits of our wealth. If the Lord is using Discovering the Jewish Years to bless you, and you feel the Holy Spirit knocking at the door of your heart to present an offering to Father God through this ministry, beloved, just be obedient, and when you do, you'll open your heart for Father to pour His blessing into your life. Here's how you can donate or become a monthly partner. Send your tax-deductible gift to Discovering the Jewish Jesus, P.O. Box 777, Blissfield, Michigan, 49228. Or to give by credit card, visit discoveringthejewishjesus.com or call 1-800-777-7835 or text the keyword rabbi to 45777. To show our appreciation, we'll send you an audio CD and download of Rabbi's Message of the Month and our most recent newsletter. Your gift is bringing salvation, healing, and deliverance to Israel and the world through television, internet, and crusade outreaches. Finally, many of us have honored God with our finances while living, but have we considered how we can honor the Lord with our finances when we pass on? For more information, click Will and Estate Gifts at discoveringthejewishjesus.com. In the book of Numbers, chapter 6, the Lord gave instructions to Moses and Aaron to speak this blessing over his people. And the Lord said, when you speak these words over my people, I will place my name on them and bless them. Receive the impartation of the Lord's blessings. Yahweh, 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 the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift you up by his countenance and the Lord give you, beloved one, his peace. God bless you and shalom. Revelation today for a brighter tomorrow. Find Discovering the Jewish Jesus on all your favorite social media outlets and stay up to date on the content you love. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. Connecting with Discovering the Jewish Jesus has never been easier. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Let our prayer team pray for you. Send us your prayer request today by visiting our website or writing to the address on the screen. 
Our prayer team lifts up every individual request before the Lord. And then, as God answers your prayer request, or if God has touched your life through discovering the Jewish Jesus, send us your testimony. We want to rejoice with you, and your testimony will encourage others. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Today's episode concludes the series, Journeying Through the Book of Romans, Season 3. If you've enjoyed this series and would like to purchase a copy, visit our website or call the number on your screen.